As we uh, begin today, I want to just take a moment um, to have you do something with me just so that we can prepare our hearts and our minds. Um, not that they aren't prepared already, but just to help prepare further. Um, would you uh, just close your eyes and just breathe? This morning, getting ready for church, I am sure that there are some of us in this room who experienced some level of chaos in the midst of getting out the door, in the midst of um, driving, in the midst of making sure we had our mask and all that of that. I pray that um, as we begin to talk and as we begin to study that those things would fall away, those chaos things. Breathe in and breathe out. Would you allow any thoughts that might be jumping around in your head? I have lots of those all the time. My brain never stops. But instead of getting distracted by them and feeling bad about it, I would ask that you just recognize that thought, make a note of it, and dismiss it. Breathe in and breathe out. You can open your eyes. Thank you for doing that with me. I know it's a little thing, but for me, it just helps to reset my brain a little bit. In the past uh, few weeks, we've been talking about um, orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. We've talked about this natural cycle of life that we find ourselves in. We've talked about how God uses, uh, uses it to reveal to us his faithfulness and his love for us and how he uses it to help form us, reshape us, and to help us grow. So two weeks ago, Pastor Janice took us through Daniel and shared with us how God is always faithful and how he calls us to remain steadfast in obedience, in faith, in seeking him, in our love for one another, and fixing our eyes on him. We saw how human kingdoms always follow the same pattern of failure, the same cycle of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. She revealed to us hope in God that compels faithfulness and how his plan for us is greater than our own. Last week, Pastor Emily helped us to see that we, as people of God, as his body, we are all called to be a people of hope. That plan that is greater than our own is God's plan for us, and that plan is Christ. In Christ, we have hope for a new orientation. In him, uh, let me say that again, in Christ, we have hope for a new orientation in which he will help us move forward. In Christ, in hope, God is calling us to dream new dreams, dreams of a new orientation. And Pastor Emily asked us this question, what new orientation can we embrace in Christ? 
So if human kingdoms always follow the same pattern of failure, the same cycle of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation, and God's plan for us is Christ, what are those orientations that we can embrace? Today, I want us to start to dream new dreams, but not our own, not our own dreams, because we'll just fall into that same human kingdom cycle of orientation. So what dreams, what new orientations do we find in Christ? In hope, can we embrace a new orientation that never falls into that same cycle? Does Christ provide a new orientation for us that is new every morning? So, what might this new orientation look like? I want to start uh, by looking at a few stories from during the time of resurrection. So this is just after, um, just before and just after Christ's death um, and resurrection. And we're going to go back and forth just a little bit. Let's start with Thomas. Now, I like Thomas. Um, I like Thomas because Thomas isn't afraid to ask the awkward question. He is the master of the awkward question, in my opinion. In John 14, this is before Christ's arrest and death and resurrection, uh, Jesus is with his disciples and they are, are talking and in uh, John 14, verses 1 through 7, Jesus says this, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Listen to this. This is Jesus still talking. Listen to this sentence. You know the way to where I am going. Then Thomas. You, you remember being in school and the teacher would ask a question and no one wants to answer? You know, like, you're pretty sure, you know you don't know the answer and you're pretty sure that no one else in the room knows the answer. And then there's that one kid that's just like, oh, we don't know. That's Thomas. Listen to what Thomas says. Jesus just said, you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas immediately replies, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? The awkward question. But Jesus, in grace and love, replies to Thomas and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Jesus says, you know the way. Thomas says, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. But then we get that wonderful reply from Jesus. So keep Thomas and his acceptance of awkwardness in mind as we move on, as we fast forward to the evening of the resurrection. So that morning, uh, they found the empty tomb, and we are in the evening of that day. And I want you to see several different times uh, throughout this story that the disciples were gathered together. So the first gathering, uh, 
Jesus appears to the disciples, shows them his wounds, but Thomas wasn't there with them that night. The second gathering, it's the disciples and Thomas, but Jesus isn't there. And the third gathering, the disciples are there, including Thomas, and Jesus is there. So we're going to read John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. So look for those couple of different spots. Verse 19. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my fingers into the marks of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God, and Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thomas and the disciples believed because they could see Jesus. They saw the risen Savior. They saw his wounds. We believe even though we do not see you see, Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's awkward question. We don't know where you're going. And he wasn't shocked by Thomas's demand of proof. He didn't shame or ridicule him. He went directly to him. Did you see that in the scripture? Jesus appeared, said, peace be with you, and then immediately went to Thomas. He went directly to him and said, touch my wounds, don't be faithless, but believe. Now, every time I've heard that verse, it's kind of felt like um, Jesus' response there is one of condemnation on Thomas. Uh, don't be faithless, just believe. I don't think that's what's happening here. You see, that's not a response of offense, but a response of love, a response of come and see, a response that is, don't be faithless leave. There are a few stories that I think tie in with Thomas's story in a very unique way. 
In the resurrection story, we see that, that Jesus is beginning to reveal himself to the disciples in different ways. The disciples are beginning to see Christ in a universal, omnipresent role. And that role is unveiling, Christ is unveiling what is the new orientation in Christ. So I want to look at, at three stories. The first, uh, three stories of, of Jesus revealing uh, himself to the disciples. The first uh, is, is the man standing on the shore. So this is um, sometime after uh, the story that we just read about Thomas and seeing the wounds. Um, and, and we join uh, the story, well, we start the story, John chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 5. So this is sometime after that uh, appearance that Jesus made to the disciples. Verse 1 says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Can you just imagine, like, they're just sitting around at home, and Peter just, I'm going fishing. Just, okay, Peter. <laughs> um, they responded to him, we're coming with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? <laughs> that is a tough question to ask a fisherman, I think. No, they answered. These disciples had already seen Jesus since his resurrection. Thomas, master of the awkward question, surely he wouldn't have been afraid to ask another awkward question, would he? Why didn't they recognize Jesus? The next story I want to look at is the road to Emmaus, and this is in Luke chapter 24. It'll be on the screen. I know that's, we're jumping around, but um, if you want to look at it on the screen, it'll be there. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 29. Starting at verse 13, it says this. Uh, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk among them, to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. I'm imagining the Charlie Brown just kicking the can down the road. Why don't you know what's going on? That kind of thing. The one named Cleophas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced, and they crucified him. Remember who they're talking to, right? 
but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, the man walking along with them, interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he is talking to these men about himself. They have just expressly described everything that has happened, and they still do not recognize. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. The next story I want to look at is Mary in the garden that morning of the resurrection. She had gone out early to the, the tomb and, and saw that it was open and, and ran back to get Peter and some other disciples, and she came back with them. Those Peter and, and the other disciple looked in the tomb, didn't see anything, and took off. And that's where we find ourselves. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It says this, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. So in those three stories, we have multiple people, not just one person per story, but we have multiple people that knew Jesus, not just acquaintances of Jesus who had heard about him and, and seen him from time to time and, and listened to some of his sermons, but these people knew him. The, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they had been in the locked room with the other disciples. They were locked in the room because they were afraid that the Jewish authorities were going to come and crucify them as well. Those details would not have been shared with just anybody, right? These were people that knew Jesus. In the boat were several disciples, including Thomas, who isn't afraid to ask questions. We know that. They had already seen Jesus after the resurrection. They didn't recognize him. Again, the disciples on the road to Emmaus shared all of the details of the events of the resurrection. They discussed Jesus himself with Jesus. They had been in that locked room 
they didn't recognize him. And Mary, Mary, who had been healed by Jesus, Mary, who had been at the foot of the cross, Mary, who was at that very moment actively searching for Christ, she didn't recognize him. Why can't they recognize? What is going on? Things are changing. I'm going to read through a number of scriptures. I just want you to listen. Don't try and follow me because I'm going to go real quick. John chapter 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for there is one, for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ. All things are through him. And yet, and we exist through him. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. From now on, then, do we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Colossians 3, 8 through 11, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Did you catch a theme? All things were made in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Christ is life. Christ is light. Christ is in all things. Christ is in us. Because of the resurrection, all creation is reconciled to God in Christ. In these, if, if these things, if these things are true, and I believe that they are, then we ask ourselves this question again. Why couldn't these people recognize Jesus? These people that knew Jesus these people that had already seen the resurrected Jesus, why couldn't they see him? It's because they didn't have eyes to see yet. And Christ was revealing himself to them in each of those moments. You see, the man on the shore asking the disciples if they had caught any fish, that man was a stranger. Let me make this clear. That man was a person that they did not know. But in that man was Christ. They couldn't see Christ in that man until it was revealed to them. John 21, 6 through 7 Jesus continues on talking to these disciples as they're in the boat. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some fish. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea, swimming to shore to see him. The stranger that walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that man was a random dude. Had no idea what had been going on. He was a stranger that those disciples did not know. But in that man was the resurrected Christ. They couldn't see until it was revealed to them. 
That story continues in Luke 24, verses 30 and 32. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. The gardener in the garden that morning talking to Mary, that was a gardener. That was a random person that Mary had never met. He was a stranger. Just happened to be there that morning. But in that gardener was Christ. She couldn't see until it was revealed to her. That story continues, John 20, verses, verse 16, and this is my favorite reveal of all. Jesus said to her, Mary, her name, Mary, Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You see, each of these stories had a moment where, where Jesus, in this person, revealed himself to the disciples. He did something that they would recognize. For the, the, the disciples in the boat, he performed a miracle of fish beyond what they could imagine. For the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he broke bread with them. For Mary, he spoke her name. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. You see, before that, they knew Jesus in a physical form. That was it. And he had been telling them. And Thomas had asked the question, where are you going? We don't know. He's been telling them all along. And he reveals to them what is happening. The death and resurrection of Jesus marked the, the arrival of this new orientation. This kingdom built not of human hands, but built with the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Built in the hands of the universal Christ, the Christ that is in all. What might this new orientation look like? It looks like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Moment by moment, breath by breath, day by day. In one moment, the history of the cosmos changed and was restored to the full glory of God's intent. So you might have a few questions, like, um, there's still pain in the world. I still experience things that aren't fun. So how can this possibly be the new orientation because of that pain? Or your question might be, how can we embrace this new orientation now? I have two things in response. First, it's a good thing that we already talked about Thomas and that he showed us how to ask awkward questions, right? Second, it's all in how we see. It's all in what we are looking for. One of my favorite verses, 
John chapter 17, verses 20, and 20, 20 through 23. I have shared this a number of times, and if you're getting tired of it, I don't care. <laughs> I love you all, but I'm going to keep sharing this. John 17, 20 through 23 says this, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now, time out. This is Jesus praying to his father, God, before his betrayal and his death. It's kind of a big moment. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you see what's going on there? Verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, period. Calling us to be one together with each other. It continues, may they also be in us so that the world may, have, may believe that you sent me, period. So we've got this connection, but he's also praying for this connection. It's both. It's not just, oh, that they would be one with us, and so when everybody is one with God, then we're all one together. No, it, it's that, but it's more than that. It's that they would be one together and they would be one with us. It's a deeper level of connectedness. So no, not everything in this world is perfect. Yes, there is still pain, struggle, death, and evil. But do you know what else? There's beauty, and there's love, and there's grace, and there's mercy. And there is Christ. There is divine DNA. Christ in all things. In everything. In every moment, in every breath, in every sunrise, in every sunset, in every rainstorm, in every rainbow, in every birth, and yes, in every pain, in every struggle, and even in every death. There is divine DNA. Christ has not abandoned us. He is with us through anything and everything that we encounter. He is in all and through all. I'm not talking about this idea of, of finding God everywhere. I'm not talking about seeing nature and saying, well, that tree is God. I am, I am saying that as we look at creation, as we look at each other, we are to see Christ in those things. 
So to see and think that, that every tree, every cloud is God, that's pantheism. We don't believe that. What I'm talking about is called panentheism. Those are big words that I got to look up this week. Panentheism is this belief that in all things, Christ is present, that Christ is God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. But they are in our world. This is a Christ-soaked world. Our job is not to discover this divine DNA. Our job is to recognize that it is already there and has been there since the beginning of time. Christ in us, Christ in all things. Life is crazy, right? It is not fun at times. At other times, it's pretty cool. Five stars. I'll do it again. <laughs> um, but life is crazy. So how can we have eyes to see this Christ-soaked world? How can we ever hope to, to see the ways that Christ is working? Because the disciples who knew him in a, in a physical form they couldn't even see it. It had to be revealed to them. So how can we, who have not seen the physical Jesus, have any chance? It's about practice. It's about working to always be thinking that way. It's about prayer, spending time in prayer that our mind would be opened and our eyes would be focused on Christ. It's about service to others in our community, it's about giving of love so that we might help those around us. It's about community. One of the things that COVID has taught me, and I knew this all along, but you know, I don't want to think about it too much because whatever, but one of the things that COVID has taught me is that church, what we do here on Sunday mornings, it's not about listening to someone talk. It, it is about worship. It's, it's about bettering ourselves, about learning how, how we can better live a Christ-like life. But I think the more important thing is community. It's being together. It's being with each other and having like thoughts, knowing that all of us are coming from hard lives, but Christ is with us. So, like I said, if COVID taught me one thing, it was that, that I missed this, you guys. I missed this, being together as a community of believers. We can also have eyes to see by, by surrendering of ourselves, not getting caught up on what we are doing, but always taking a break to say, what is God showing me? And further, by paying attention. So I have two videos that I want to show you really quick. I just hit the same amount of time that I took in first service, and I'm not quite done. So it's my fault that y'all were standing in the foyer a little bit 
uh, this morning. Um, but I want to show you two things. These are, are two videos um, that I have just randomly stumbled upon on YouTube, and um, they, to me, struck me in a very impactful way when I saw them. Now, I don't want you to think, oh, he's more spiritual than I am. I don't ever see anything impactful when I watch YouTube. I rarely do. <laughs> I have two examples. That's about it. The first is from, uh, it's, it's a, an advertisement for GoPro cameras, um, and they, they were following a, a man who also has a YouTube account, a YouTube channel. He's called The Lion Whisperer. Uh, you can find his, his content by, by viewing there. And he works to, to rehab animals, to, to um, bring healing and restoration to animals. And then he brings them back out into the wild. And, and specifically, by his name, he's a lion whisperer. That's what people call him, I guess. I don't know. Um, but in this video that you'll see, uh, these are some lions that he had worked with in the past. And then they were healthy, and they released them into the wild, and he has gone back out into the wild because there was a report that these lions were near, and he wanted to go see them. So that's what this video is. And I want you to look for something in here. Right about there. Do you see that lion's eyes? Because in that lion's eyes, I see love and I see relationship. In that wink, I see Christ in that video. In that lion's eyes, I see Christ. I'm not saying you have to, like that's not what I'm trying to say. I, just as an example, when I watched that video, boom, tears. Oh, there he was. This next video is from uh, uh, Maine. Uh, we love vacationing in Maine. We have a, a, a great family history there. And um, one of our favorite places to go in Maine is Skudik Peninsula. Now, we love it so much that we named our dog Skudik. Um, and so if you've ever wondered, why did you name your dog that? That's why. But Skudik Point is, is a spectacular place where open ocean meets rock. And it is gorgeous there. It's just the, the way that the sea is filling in and, and the rocks and off in the distance, you can see uh, Mount Cadillac, Cadillac Mountain in Acadia National Park. And it's just, it's, you know, if I could die right there, you know, so be it. That would be a great spot to go, I think. But whenever I'm there, I always am struck by the beauty and then struck by one other thing. And in these two things, in the, the dissonance between them, I see Christ. So here's, here's that. Isn't it gorgeous? You can't see Cadillac. It's off to the right. But it's beautiful. And you're just enjoying, and whoa! The dissonance between the beauty of the setting and the raw, unforgiving power I see Christ in there. And so I am constantly trying to keep my eyes open so that I can see. 
so that I can see the resurrected Jesus in all things, in all people. I have one more thing I want to read to you, and then I promise I will almost let you go. I'll promise I'll stop talking. How about that? This is um, from uh, Carol Houselander is her name. Uh, Born 1901, died 1954. She was a Catholic artist, writer, and poet. And this comes from her autobiography. Um, the, The autobiography is titled A Rocking Horse Catholic. And it says this. And just stay with me here, because she gets, just follow, or try to follow. I had to read it 12 times before I got it. She says this. I was in an underground train, a crowded train in which all sorts of people jostled together, sitting and strap-hanging workers of every description, going home at the end of the day. Quite suddenly, I saw with my mind, but as vividly as a wonderful picture, Christ in them all. But I saw more than that. Not only was Christ in every one of them, living in them, dying in them, rejoicing in them, sorrowing in them, but because he was in them and because they were here, the whole world was here too, here in this underground train. That's, we're one in Christ. That's the idea, right? Not only the world as it was at that moment, not only all the people in all the countries of the world, but all those people who had lived in the past and all those yet to come. I came out into the street and walked for a long time in the crowds. It was the same here, on every side, in every passerby, everywhere. Christ. Christ in man. I saw, too, the reverence that everyone must have for a sinner. Instead of condoning his sin, which is in reality his utmost sorrow, one must comfort Christ who is suffering in him. And this reverence must be paid even to those sinners whose souls seem to be dead because it is Christ who is the life of the soul, who is dead in them. They are his tombs. And Christ in the tomb is potentially the risen Christ. Christ is everywhere. In him, every kind of life has a meaning and has an influence on every other kind of life. It is not the foolish sinner like myself running about the world with reprobates and feeling magnanimous who comes closest to them and brings them healing. It is the contemplative in her room who has never set eyes on them, but in whom Christ fasts and prays for them. Or it may be a woman in whom Christ makes himself a servant again, or a king whose crown of gold hides a crown of thorns. Realization of our oneness in Christ is the only cure for human loneliness. For me, too, it is the only ultimate meaning of life, the only thing that gives meaning and purpose to every life. After a few days, the vision faded. People looked the same again. There was no longer the same shock of insight for me each time as I was face to face with another human being. Christ was hidden again. Indeed, 
through the years to come, I would have to seek for him. And usually, I would find him in others, and still more in myself. But only through a deliberate and blind act of faith. every single person that we pass on the street. Every single shopper that's blocking the way in Wegmans. Your boss, that person you work with that just absolutely annoys the snot out of you. Every single one of them in that person is Christ. the more we have eyes to see that reality, the more we open ourselves up to allowing Christ to reveal himself to us in those ways, the more deeply we are living in this new orientation, the plan that God had for us all along, the kingdom of heaven here and now. We will not always get it right. We won't. I get angry at people sometimes and fail to see Christ in them. But it's about living a life that is tuned to that frequency. Not living a life to make sure that we don't sin. I mean, we don't want to do that stuff. But, but guys, the point of all of this is living in a way that we see Christ everywhere. That's heaven on earth. That is the new orientation. That's what God has for us.